0: Thankful. Thankful for meet. I love you, dude. You are the man honored to know you and, and hang out with you. Uh, today was one of those days where I just want to tell you guys like I just feel so lucky to get to do what I get to do. Like, to be able to be your guys' pastor is just such an honor and privilege. Like, I was just thanking God today. Um, I mean, it was a long, busy day, but it was one of those days that every step was just like, man, thank you, God, that I get to do this. Like, this is, this is quite an honor and a privilege. And, um, and I also want to give a, a real shout-out to my wife, who is here. Um, yeah. So, so, she works. she works, I don't want to admit this because this is going to burn me later. She works way harder than I do, okay? I, d- I need to say it, and I know she's going to bring this up when I complain, but she does. Like, the only way that I can do anything that I can do is because she serves our family and our kids, and when I get to go and hang out and have fun, like, she's doing dishes and cleaning up diapers, And um, and and she is an amazing woman of God who, when I met her, what attracted me to her more than anything is she was like, I want to serve Jesus. Like, I have a call in my life. And and when, when I first heard her preach, I was like, dang, this girl's a better preacher than me by, you know, by 10. And yet, in a lot of ways, she submitted a lot of that to, to what she feels is her first ministry, which is our kids. And so, man, I love you, babe. Thank you so much for doing that. And um, and if, if you guys are here and you enjoy Fusion and are thankful for anything about it, then you owe her a thanks, too, because it's, it's only because she does what she does. So, yeah, yeah. Really excited to have Kyle for here. These guys, to say that they've changed my life in the course of Fusion's direction is not an understatement, and I'm thankful that um, when uh, when I started becoming a full time college young adult pastor, we really wanted to reach college campuses. And how do we do that? And, and to be honest with you, like. The and I are sitting in a room. And we we're like, we don't know how to do this. Let's not even lie, you know. And so we we were like, what do we do? How do we how do we reach young adults? And and um, it's just cool how God brings stuff together. How He's sovereign, and when things seem to. Not always work out the way you think, like he's still working in the midst to bring about stuff for, for his good and for his will and and so um, I don't know a couple years ago just had a conversation with with Johnny who you guys have met who is who is one of the leaders of, of these guys in their campus and just sharing sharing our heart for what we wanted in New York and he started sharing his heart that God had been placing on these these guys from Texas and girls from Texas a burden for New York city and He's like, I got some people, and I think that's the first time he mentioned Craig's name to me and Stephanie and Nick, and and so um, that just started something cool, and and you know we were on the campus of Nassau and trying to trying to break in there and figure out how to do it. And, and, and I think we learned a lot through there. And, and all that time we're like, man, God, this seems so challenging. How do we do this? Little did we know that God was bringing teams of full-time missionaries to come here and and do this, and that we can be a part of serving them and helping them. And it, it honestly, like I'm confident, is bigger and better than anything we could have dreamed. So it's just cool to have you guys here. Thank you so much. The the guys and girls from Chi Alpha, man, quite an honor um, in a second, one of them is going to come and share a little bit of her story. So, but honor to have you guys. Thank you so much. Um, and and Craig, Craig said he's learning from us, but really we're learning from these guys. So uh, it's 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 really cool. Tonight I'm going to be we're going to be continuing our Galatians series, and uh, I wanted to uh, I want to talk a little bit about adoption. Have you ever been like Have you ever had that moment where you really wanted to be like adopted onto a team? Anybody or into like some sort of a club, like a cool, like like there's a group of people and they're all like into something and you're like, man, I really wish they would like adopt me into that. You know what I mean? Like bring me in. Um, I remember like you ever grow up and, and, and like a bunch of people are playing basketball. I remember this. Some of you know of my dream to play in the NBA. Still, it's still there. You know, I'm 32, five foot 10. Uh, still carrying some holiday weight, but my dream of playing the NBA has not faded one ounce. Okay, but I remember as a young, you know, a young pudgy white kid from Vermont. Not a lot of NBA stars come out of Vermont. That may be shocking to some of you, but I remember like the, you know, on the basketball court and everybody else is playing. And you're like, man, I wanna be one of the dudes. Like I wanna be part of the team. I hope they adopt me into their into their basketball culture. And and they're picking everybody else and 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 you're just not getting picked. You know what I mean? And then they're going down the line and you're you're like sizing up. You ever do this like you size up the other people? And you're like, dude, that guy's like seventy-five. Like he there's no way he gets picked over me. You know what I mean? And they're like that dude absolutely is not going to get picked over me. Like he, I don't even think he's here to play basketball, you know? And so you're, you're like, all right, all right, I got a shot. And they're just, and then, and then one by one, you're getting passed over. Right. And you're just like desperate, like, come on. Like that was my story as, as a, as a young, person, desperate to be adopted into the squad. And I was thinking about this today as I was honoring my wife before and just overwhelmed by my love for her. Um, this happens in relationships. Like we want to be adopted into a relationship. We want someone to choose us because really that's what adoption is, right? And it's funny to me how sometimes like when you're in that dating relationship, you will kind of morph and do some stuff in order to um, to have a person choose you that maybe later on starts to fade, okay? And I was thinking about this today with my wife and, and I remember our very first Valentine's Day. You remember this? Yeah, see, my my wife, she liked to flip it. Normally, the guy is supposed to do all this great stuff for the woman, right? But she was like, no, I'm an independent woman. Like, I'm not gonna be put into a mold. I'm gonna do things my way. And so my wife, for our very first Valentine's Day when we were dating, she shows up in my dorm room. Actually, no, you didn't even show up. You surprised me. I go into my dorm room, and there is a huge basket, okay? And in this basket, some of you will really appreciate this, in this basket is a whole lot of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, okay? And I'm talking, which is my favorite, by the way, and I'm talking not just the straight milk chocolate. I'm talking white chocolate. I'm talking king size. Every variety, yes, every variety there was existed in that basket. And I was like, that's a good girl right there. Wow. (laughs) Then, like, I felt the love growing a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And then I I look through, and there is two... I count them two video games in this basket. Okay? I'm like, oh my goodness. Like God did make a certain woman just for me. Like this is incredible. Like and 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 I'm going through this. But I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And here's here's a funny thing. Like I, I loved it. It was amazing. But then when you get married those very same things become hindrances. It's like, well, you play video games too much. You know what I mean? You're eating too much Reese's peanut butter cups. And and you realize it, it, it makes you laugh that sometimes, like, when you're in that dating game, which some of you are there, um, some of you are not, and you hope to be there, maybe tonight's your night, um, there is this kind of desperate desperate idea to be adopted. Even sometimes we do stuff where we're like, please choose me, please choose me, right? Yeah. Tonight I don't want to talk about about God's adoption of us and how different it is and how unique it is. And before I dive into the scripture, um, I, I'm gonna invite somebody to come up and share her story. Because last night I had the whole CAFA crew there at our house and um, and uh, and they were kind of going around the table and sharing their story about what Jesus did in her life. And and Veronica was gonna come in a second. She was sharing her story. And it was like, as she's telling it, it was amazing. The Holy Spirit was like, it was exactly in line with what my, my sermon was about tonight. So I, I just like, hey, can you share tomorrow? She's like, yes. So I want her to come now and share share with you guys kind of her testimony, how she came to faith in Christ and doing what she's doing. So can we give it up for the one and only Veronica? And a little known fact about her, she is a Mexican-American who plays the drums.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Blessed okay <laughs> yeah that's cool to jump set. anyways um yeah i'm from texas um in Kyle. this is my uh last semester here or i guess in, at school university um so i guess just to get started well um i grew up not in a Christ- christian home and um, I had a lot of um, anxiety and depression and it, it's like, it runs through my family, it's like biological and, which I didn't find out till later, but um, that would've been good to know. But uh, as, I, as I got older, it, I just noticed they start to get worse and worse and um, when I was in high school, I started having panic attacks and um, it was just like really like debilitating and, and um, you know, I did become a Christian when I was in high school, but I still didn't know what it meant to really trust the Lord. And so I still like suffered with my anxiety and my depression, and um, it just escalated even into college. And uh, my first semester, um, going into college, I joined Chi Alpha and um, I met you know a ton of incredible people, but I still um, was struggling with you know all of this anxiety and depression. And um, basically just after a couple, uh, even into my second year in Alpha, um, it got to the, the worst that it had ever gotten. Um, and I started having panic attacks every single day. I was in counseling, I was taking medication already. And um, I just became very, very desperate to die. And I would pray every single day And and when I say desperate, I was desperate to die, and I would pray to God, please kill me, so that I wouldn't have to. It wouldn't be my fault. It wouldn't. I. I wouldn't have to. Someone wouldn't have to tell my parents, you know, that that I chose to kill myself, you know. But, um. And you know, so you know, when people say you know God doesn't answer all your prayers, you know, sometimes (laughs) it's for a better reason. Um. And so, but it did get worse and worse, and so I, um, attempted suicide, um in the summer going into my uh, junior year. And I was in a psychiatric hospital for about a month. Um, And I always say it it was one of the darkest times of my life but it was also one of the most uh, rich times of just really learning what it meant to um, experience Jesus. And um, he really just showed up there in the hospital and that's where I really noticed him in my life was because there was like nothing else um, there and um, even in the secular psychiatric hospital there was like bibles on all of the tables which is pretty weird and I remember one of the first things somebody told me there was because everyone would usually ask you like you know like what are you in here for it sounds like you're in jail but like they would ask you that and whatever and um and he was after I told him whatever he was like he's like well I guess we all have that in common we all want to die and it was just kind of you know you don't that's not something you hear normally and stuff and um, and so that was just a whole nother process. And um, after I'd gotten out of the hospital, um, my small group leader released, really st- um, was there for me and she, or her name's Sabra, and uh, she would pray with me and she would always be texting me and um, just really trying to do whatever she could to help me. And, um, but it's still hard, you know, when someone's trying to help you, but you still don't trust God because, you know, there's really only so much when when your mind is totally somewhere else, or when your heart is really not into it. And um, but one day, Kyle was having a prayer night to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and um, I was like, "Well, I guess I'll go." I I legitimately remember telling my roommate on the way. I was like, "I don't see the point," um, but I was like, "But I'll go with you because she wanted to go," and I was like, "Okay." Um, and so I went and. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll try it out, and Stephanie was there, and she prayed over me, too, um, and uh, that night, I just remember the Lord telling me so clearly that, um, like, if, like, if you really want, like, this peace and joy, then, like, you have got to let go of of these disorders and, and making them your identity, um, because I had, for years, told myself, like, you know, well, this is who I am, you know, it runs in my family, this is, how, this is how he made me. This is the way that I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. And the counselors will always tell you, um, you'll never get rid of the, and, and I'm also a psychology major, and they tell you, you'll never get rid of a disorder. You just learn how to cope with it over the years. Um, but I was like, okay, well, he's telling, I knew like for sure, like he's telling me that I need to like lay this down. And so that night I just surrendered everything to him. And I just remember feeling just like this peace that I had never felt before, and like this joy. And I remember I was just like smiling because it just it was really just like overwhelming, you know. And uh, and um, but after a couple of um, weeks, I noticed that I I still I was feeling that peace and that joy, and um, I wasn't feeling anxious or depressed anymore. And so like that was weird from feeling it literally constantly every single day for it to be literally just stopped. Yeah. And um, after in less than a month, I was. Well, after I got out of the hospital, I was taking seven medications every single day for, like, mood, anxiety, so I could sleep, whatever. Um, but in less than a month, I was off all of the medicine. Um, I didn't have to go to counseling anymore. And um, now it's been almost two years, and I haven't had even a second of any anxiety or depression. It just disappeared. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: Awesome, thank you so much. Can we give it up for Veronica again? Now what an amazing, uh, amazing story. And I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on her story a little bit tonight as we dive in. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into our Galatians series in the book of Galatians, chapter four, starting at verse four. So we'll have it on the screen if you are a sinner and didn't bring your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Um uh, we we'll, have it on screen for you guys. So if we want to throw it up there, but Galatians chapter four, verse four, I'm going to read it. Then I'm going to pray for us tonight. And then we're going to jump in. So if you're with me, let me hear you say, go Veronica. Go Veronica. Boom. That was powerful. That was powerful. All right. Galatians four, four says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for the opportunity to open up your word, to be with, uh, to be with family here, God, and, and to learn more about you. I pray tonight that as we look at this uh, passage in Galatians, that we would open our heart. If there's those here who have no faith in Jesus at all, that maybe tonight they would be open to uh, listen and willing to say, maybe there's a God out there. Maybe he'll speak to me tonight. God, if there's those that are in um, some other level of faith, maybe they've been in the church for years, I pray that we would also be open and say, would you speak to our hearts tonight as well and do something different? And so uh, we, we thank you. We thank you for the message that we have been adopted by you as sons and daughters of God. And I pray that we would live that out every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're talking about adoption today. And here's what I think, actually, as we look at this passage, there's two aspects to adoption that we're going to hit on and focus on that really jump out at us. Two parts to the reality that you and I have been adopted by God. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are called sons and daughters of God. And there's two parts to that. And the first one is the son. The second is the spirit. So we're going to talk about this tonight, the son and the spirit. And the first thing, which is the sun, it's really interesting in this passage, if you guys haven't been with us, we've been going through Galatians, and we like to do series through books of the Bible, so that we can really understand what a whole book is saying as we journey through it. And uh, if you haven't been with us, Paul, who's the writer of Galatians, he's writing to the Church of Galatians, and he's kind of talking to them about this idea of remembering the gospel, And the gospel is, right, that um, through faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, that we're no longer sinners, but he rescued us, and now we, uh, we are forgiven. But not only forgiven, we have been given a new identity because of the work of Christ. And what's happening within the church is there are Jewish believers who believed it was Jesus, plus you had to follow the Mosaic law, and you had to be circumcised. And so all of these, uh, these believers in Galatia are kind of been getting confused, and they're starting to believe, well, maybe Jesus is not enough. Maybe I also have to do this other stuff. And so Paul is writing to them and encouraging them and challenging them. And he gets to this point in, in chapter 4, and he begins to give them, them this analogy of, of an heir. Right? And he talks to them about this, and he says, he says that an heir, as long as his child, is no different from a slave. And what he's talking about in the beginning of this section is he's talking about the nation of Israel. And he's going, hey, through the whole history of the nation of Israel, right, they were an heir to a promise or a blessing or a kingdom. But they were like children. And in that culture, uh, we don't really have this today because it doesn't really resonate. But in, in ancient culture, in this culture, the idea of an heir was very prominent. Like if you were if you were a, a family, you would have a son who would be the heir to your family name, but also all of your possessions, all of your stuff, they would pass it on. And, and that was a huge thing at that time. It was all about who your heir was. And, and so the nation of Israel, right, he says, you guys were the heir to a great blessing, a great promise, but you were like a child. In that, in that culture, a child, even though they were an heir, and one day would have all the rights and blessings of the inheritance as a child, they didn't have any of those. They were protected by someone who would uh, counsel them, someone who oversee them. Even if a parent died in that culture and a young person was, was at a young age, there would be someone who would come in and kind of be their guardian for a while. And so he says, you were still, as a child, you were like a slave. You are like any other slave in the house, where even though you're an heir, you didn't get to practice the rights of an heir until at one day the full knowledge would come to reality. And, and Paul's talking about Jesus. So he's challenging this, this Jewish congregation in the church of Galatia, and he's reminding them about the nation of Israel. And how. And for us guys, if you, as you read the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is a picture pointing to Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a collection of, not of disconnected stories but of one big story that culminates with Christ. And and so so he's talking to Israel right and he's saying this to them. And 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 it resonates with them more than it does with us because he gets to the point and he says now through Christ we've been adopted. In ancient culture, you adoption was very much a practice. See, for some people, if you couldn't have an heir, like if you're a wealthy family and you didn't have an heir, what you could do, you could actually adopt an heir to, your, to, to all that you had. And here's what's amazing. As I started doing some research on this, what's amazing about it in that culture is when you adopted an heir, what it really meant was they were renamed. They were given a new identity. So any debts that they had were erased. Who they were before their adoption was gone. All all the blessings, all of the rights, all of the res- all the responsibilities, all of the good things that. Um, that the father had when he adopted the heir was now given to the heir. And it didn't matter who they were before. It didn't matter their life, what they had done, how, how much or how little they had. None of that mattered. All of a sudden, it was like they were made new. They were given a new identity. They were chosen and adopted and brought into a new family. And it also meant that they had all the responsibilities now to honor the father, to submit to the Father. Now the authority of the Father uh, was over them. And so it's this beautiful picture of adoption and Paul is challenging them and he goes, man, do you guys realize that that is what Jesus secured for you? He secured that for you. Like you you were the slave who had nothing, who had no inheritance and Jesus goes to the cross gives up all that he deserves, all of his inheritance to make you worthy so that now when you put your faith in him, God sees the work of Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ, not your sin and all your junk, right? So he makes you worthy so that now you can be called an heir and and get to inherit all the blessings of the kingdom of God. Paul's going, that, do you guys realize that? Now for the nation of Israel, have you ever had a moment in your life where um. You anticipated something, and then when it happened, it was not as great as you anticipated. Anybody been to Chick Fil A? No, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I know that's bad. I know I just made some enemies in here. I just made some enemies, but I'm sorry. It's overhyped. Okay, I'm, I'm just. But no, uh, yeah. I uh, that that is true of movies, though, isn't it true of movies and sometimes restaurants? Like, you ever had somebody just hype up a movie so much? and then you go, and your expectations are like a 12 out of 10, and you go, and you're like, eh, it was all right, or you ever had somebody, like, you heard nothing about a movie, and you go, and you have such low expectations, like, it ends up being the greatest movie of all time, right, like, so this, this happened to me, um, I, as a kid, I always wanted to go water skiing, Okay, And I actually told this story earlier, which reminded me of it. I always wanted to go water skiing, and I never got a chance to go. And when I was in college, I was home. My parents have a little cabin on a lake. And and one, one day we're there, and our neighbor had a speedboat and water skis. He's like, you want to go? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, God is free showing favor on my life. Like, this is finally the moment I get to go water skiing. I was so excited. I was so pumped. And he's like, all right, listen. So I get in the water. I get the skis on, I get in the water. And he's like, listen, you're not going to be able to stand up your first time. Don't worry. Nobody can. I was like, oh yes, I will. I was like, I will stand up the first time. And so he's like, all right, so so he gets ready and, and they're getting the boat ready. And I'm like super nervous because this is like a dream come true for me. Like I've been hyping this up my whole life. I've been anticipating going water skiing because it just seemed cool to me and it seemed like a ton of fun. And he takes off and all, all of my strength, I, 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 I was able to stand up. And I'm like, yes! You know what I mean? Like, I had a Lion King moment out there where I wasn't holding up a, a baby. I was just holding myself up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the greatest water skier in the world. And so, so I'm going, but at this point, he's only going straight, which, by the way, doesn't take much skill to just stay standing when someone's going straight in water skis. But, um, but then he makes, like, a first turn. And as soon as he, as soon as he makes the first turn, I just bail. Right? And when I fall, my left water ski flies off my foot, and it hits the, my right foot's ankle. And I pick my... So I'm sitting in the water, and I, I can just feel like something's not right with my, my right ankle. And so I pick my foot up, and my ankle looked like a chainsaw had hit it. Like it was mangled and just like... I'm like, oh, that's not good. Like, I don't know if you ever had an injury like that. You're like, yeah, that's kind of gross to look at. Um, and so they got me up. I was gushing blood. They rushed me to the hospital. I get there, and the doctor, uh, they end up sewing me up. And he was like, if you had, if you had cut any more, you would have severed your Achilles tendon. Like, the, my left ski flew off and sliced my right ankle so bad. And he's like, dude, this looks like you you did a chainsaw accident on your leg. Like, this is really bad. And so so it was one of those moments where I was like, man, I really hyped this up. And uh, I was only up there for like two seconds, and it wasn't that great. It really was not. And, uh, and, and, and Israel has one of those moments. Like, they have a water skiing moment, Okay. Where Israel had, for their entire history, had been anticipating something that when it happened, they did not realize the greatness of it. So Israel, in in 2 Samuel, you guys know the story of King David. We talked about David before. In 2 Samuel, right... um, The prophet Nathan comes to David, and he says these words. I'm going to read them to you. He says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from uh, before you. You and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure, listen to this, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with these words, in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. So David is this king. Nathan the prophet comes to him, and he says, hey, through your lineage, I'm going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. He makes a covenant with David. And from that moment on, all of Israel was anticipating this happening. When Israel went into exile, right? When they were moved and and they lost everything that they had, everything, they're going, God, what is happening? They were anticipating this covenant, this promise. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this emphasis. We need another King David, right? We need a guy like David. That's why. Because they were looking to this covenant. They were looking at this promise. And God, in this promise, notice what he says. He says, through your son, through your line, the line of David, I will provide A son that will make all of you sons and daughters. Like, that's what he's saying. I'm gonna establish your line and and your kingdom forever. Now what David maybe had a a picture of, but not completely, was that Jesus was born of the line of David. That's why when he opened up the Gospel of Matthew, he gives his whole genealogy, right? Jesus was born of the line of David, and Jesus, who comes as God's son, plays the role of the perfect son, right? He submits to the father as the perfect son and does what none of us can so that you and I can be made sons and daughters. It's an amazing story and it's the fulfillment of this covenant that was made back then. The problem is the nation of Israel had been anticipating for something so long and when it happened, it wasn't what they thought it would be. They thought Jesus was going to come and take over Rome and, and kick out the Romans and establish this great, mighty, powerful army. And when he didn't, they were like, oh, that's it? Like, they had a water skiing moment and they missed out on the beauty of what actually had happened. And Paul is saying to them, do you guys realize, like, the covenant has been fulfilled. Jesus on the cross secured your identity, your adoption. He was a perfect son so that you could be made a son do you realize that? And he, and he's saying this to them, to this, this reality. It's a beautiful story of adoption. And before we move on to the next point, I actually have, so my dad for 21 years ran a Christian foster care agency where we would take kids from the, take kids from the state that were in foster care and they would put them and pair them up with Christian homes, trying to get them adopted. And so I have two, I have three sisters, two younger ones who are both adopted. And, and, uh, And what I realized, here's what I realized about adoption, because adoption is beautiful because it's choosing somebody to be a part of your family, right? That's what it is. Like, when you just have kids, you don't get to choose what kids you're going to have or what they're like. Some of you guys know you have brothers and sisters. Like, you don't get to choose your brother or sister. You don't get to choose your family, except when you adopt. Then you are saying, I choose you to be a part of me. I choose to give you new identity. But you know what? Here's the reality I realized. Like, when you choose to adopt in a family, Everyone who makes that choice, like the other ones, have to submit and lose some things. So I have an older sister. Her and I are biological. Um, We were born from my parents, and our two younger were adopted. When we adopted our two younger sisters, my older sister and I had to sacrifice some things in order to adopt them in. Now, to a whole nother level, to a whole nother extreme, Jesus sacrificed everything he on the cross right he was he severed his relationship with the father so that you and i could be brought into relationship It's the most beautiful picture of him choosing you of adoption he looked down on you and go i want them and i'll give up everything for them that's the work of the gospel and what what paul is trying to say to them is do you realize man you're adopted and that adoption is a work of the son but the second thing he says it's just also the work of the Spirit. So he goes on and, and, he, and he says, because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now those words, Abba, Father, uh, for you may mean nothing, but in the Greek, what those words are, they really portray a, a child crying out to a father, a daddy. It really means saying, Daddy, God. And it's this beautiful portrayal of just love and just feeling loved, and just going, "Man, there's nothing I can't ask of you." Like God, you're amazing. You know what I mean? And kids, are, like kids are like that. It's a blessing to have children because you realize some things about God's word that are hard to know if you don't have kids. And and kids, they're not afraid to ask you for whatever they want. You know what I mean? Like they just assume they're not really afraid of rejection. They're just like, "I want chocolate." You know, I want this. I want. That. You're, you're like, I want to watch the Troll movie for the nine hundredth time. You know what I mean? And and so. In those words, what Paul says to the Abba Father, it's like that. It's going to God and just saying, man, you're my daddy. Like, I know there's nothing that you would hold for me. Like, I just love you. I trust you. I believe in you. And so Paul is saying it's not, listen, Paul's saying the work of adoption is not just the truth of what the Son did, but it's the Spirit of the Son, the Holy Spirit, creating in our hearts the reality of that truth that changes our relationship with God, changes actually how we feel about Him and express our love towards Him. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a well-known a, a theologian pastor, he talks on this passage and he he says there's per, something startling. There's a startling connection between this passage and the prodigal son. And we, we watched a little video at the beginning about the, the story of the, the parable of the prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, he says, there's this parable that Jesus tells, and most people miss one of the major points of that story. In fact, they misinterpret the parable in the parable, you guys probably heard it, right? The, there's this father, and the younger son comes, and he's like, I want my inheritance, which basically means, like, I wish you were dead, and I want my money. And so he, he, the father gives it to him. He goes, and he starts living crazy and sleeping around and partying and drinking. And before he, no, he spends all his money, some of you, that's basically your college experience. And um, how dare you? And so he, he gets to the point where he has nothing, and he's like, you know, it'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than to be eating this pig slop. And so he goes back home, and he comes back to the father, and he's like, let me just be a servant. And, and Sinclair Ferguson says, you know what, when we read that story, oftentimes we think, wow, what a hum-, he finally humbled himself. And he said, that's not the case. Actually, the younger son was insulting the father in a great way. And the reason is, is because by the younger son saying, let me be a servant in your house, what he was saying was one of two things. Either you are not wealthy enough to make me a son again. See, you don't have enough inheritance to give me another inheritance because a son was granted inheritance. So he's saying either you're not wealthy enough, meaning you're not great enough to give me another inheritance, to make me a son again, to give me that identity, or you're not loving and gracious enough. It's one of the two. And it's interesting, I was listening to uh, Keller talk about this passage, and he told a story about Alexander the Great. And he said, Alexander the Great had a general who came to him and said, my daughter's getting married, and I need money for her wedding. And he's like, all right, well, you're a great general. How much do you need? And, he's, and he named this astronomical number, like crazy. And all the council sitting around there looking, I'm like, oh, man, what's he going to do? And Alexander the Great just gets this big beaming smile, and he says, absolutely, you got it. Go speak to the treasurer. And so he leaves, the general leaves, and everyone's like, why, why'd you give him that money, and why were you happy about it? And Alexander Gray says, this man gave me a great honor because by asking for so much money, he declared not only that I had that amount of money, that I was great, but also that I was gracious enough to give it. And in this passage, here's what's happening. The younger son is coming back to his father, and he is saying to him, you don't have enough to give me, you're not able to do it, or you're not gracious enough to do it, so let me earn it, let me be a servant, and I'll just earn it, and what's interesting is in that passage, right, the father comes, he puts the robe around his son, he puts the ring, the signet ring on his son, he he slaughters a, a fatted calf, right, he does all the signs of his new identity, saying, no, you're a son, you're a son, you're a son, but there's one moment that actually begins to transform the son's heart. And it's the moment where the father kisses his son. So you can have all the signs of status, of new identity, right? Like we can, we can know, this son can know, but it, until the father kisses you, until the, that sign of affection, it doesn't really move from your head down into your heart. And that's the truth of the gospel. Like, we can know the gospel. We can know about the story of Jesus. Like, a lot of you guys have been in church your whole lives. You're like, yeah, I can tell you. I know. Yeah, Jesus died. Like, it's great. I've heard this sermon every week, Pastor Jared. But it doesn't melt us, right? It doesn't move from knowledge into an experience that transforms us. And as Veronica was sharing, like she knew about Jesus, but it wasn't until she had a moment, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, where the truth of what Jesus did for her, the new identity he had secured for her, actually began to feel right and true in her heart and it began to transform her. See, you and I, here's the truth like, our biggest problem is we don't actually believe we're adopted. We don't. We're like the younger son who comes back, and and we got the robe on, we got the ring. God's telling us, no, man, I've forgiven you. Like you, you don't need to earn it back. I've got enough inheritance. I, I, I'm gracious enough. I want to give you everything. And we're like, eh, I don't know. And and we say we believe it. Like some of you are never not like I believe that. But the reality of our lives prove we don't. See, if you really believe in your new identity, why do we spend so much time worrying about what other people think about us? all of us. Like, why? It's because we don't believe it. Why do we spend so much time, right? Focusing on, 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 on pursuing stuff that we know won't satisfy, but deep down we kind of feel like it will, so we keep chasing it. Why, when we sin, do we try to avoid God or other Christians for days on end, so we feel like maybe we can punish ourselves enough or beat ourselves up enough? Why? Because you don't really believe you're a son or daughter. That's why right why why do we uh, why do we find ourselves riddled with fear and anxiety about circumstances that are to come and what's going to happen what's going to play out because we don't really believe we're a son and daughter like the truth is our greatest our greatest struggle is believing that we're adopted believing that we have an identity and what Paul is saying to them in this moment is he's saying what you need what you need is not just the truth of what Jesus did that he secured it but you need the work of, of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to be in you and to make that truth real. You need an encounter. You and I need a kiss from God. That's what we need. All of us. We need that to make it real. Uh, My two younger sisters, I told you were adopted. My youngest sister, her name is Cheyenne. She came to live with us when she was two years old, two and three. Horrible situation, abuse. Um, they were abandoned. They were just terrible situation. When she came to live with us, we would go around the house, and we started finding food, hidden food all over the place. And what we finally realized, it was her, a two-year-old girl. And what she, what she was doing is she, never, she had gotten used to never knowing when her next meal would come, so she would stash food away so that if her meal didn't come, she could go and get food as a two-year-old. And so when we brought her into our house, she now was in a loving home where she could have unlimited food, unlimited drink, right? She was always taken care of, always protected. But for months and months and months, we continued to find food stashed around the house. And the reality for us is how do we know when she finally felt safe, when she finally felt loved? It was the moment that we stopped finding food being hidden. See, she, her status was secure. Like she was a part of the Barry family. She was no longer in that situation. She was no longer a slave to abuse, a slave to all that stuff. Her status was secure, but the reality of her status hadn't penetrated her heart. It took months of realizing that she needed to encounter love, not just hear, but experience it and encounter it. Man, you and I are the same way. Like we are hiding spiritual food all over in our lives, trying to protect ourselves, trying to line ourselves up, going like, "I don't know. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen, right? Like I need to get into the best schools and get the best grades, and I got to get the best job and to get the right boyfriend or girl. Like I got to line." all my life because I can't trust God. Like we're all doing it, man, all the time. And God is saying, do you realize who you are? Man, God is, God is pouring his spirit out on us, guys. And he wants you to encounter him. He wants you to have a kiss from your father to realize that what Jesus did for you, he wants to make real in you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Anthony, you can come now. We're going to come, we're going to close this, uh, Land this plane, come to a close. Here's my here's my fear for our group. Like as your pastor, here's what I realize. You guys know um, if you've been around. Like I really value uh, intellectualism. I value studying. I value theology and apologetics. All that stuff and that stuff matters and it's important. But here's my fear for our group is if we if we are so afraid of any sort of emotionalism right, we're so afraid of any sort of, anything like that, we can miss out on having genuine encounters with the Holy Spirit in our life. And we can know something intellectually, we can know something is true, but we don't actually believe it because it's never moved deep inside of us. And my fear is that that can become the culture of, of fusion, the culture of all of our lives. And, and the Holy Spirit is going, man, I want to move in you. I want to I I just pour out my love on you. And the Father is going, man, I want to give you the robe. Like, I'm giving you the ring. I'm giving you all that. And I just want to have an encounter with you. I want to I make you feel loved. And we're afraid, right, or we're worried about what's going to happen or what's going to look like, or maybe I'll be out of control. Maybe I won't know what to do. And because of that, Jesus never really melts our hearts. My my son, my son Judah, who's, who's amazing, right? He, when he's being corrected or when he's in trouble, you know what he often will do? In the middle of correction, he'll come running at me and say, hug me, hug me, hug me, as he's crying. Hug me, hug me, hug me. And you know what he's doing? He's saying, I want to be reminded of your love in that moment. And we're always like, man, listen, even if we correct you, it doesn't mean we don't love you. We still love you. But you know what's happening like in that moment? He's got to be, his mind forgets. He's got to be reminded. And the, and the way that he's reminded is by physical touch. It's by an encounter. And what I realize about kids, really about anybody, but especially having kids, is you can tell someone you love them, but oftentimes until it's expressed to them, right? Until they have an encounter of your love, it doesn't become real. It doesn't move from, okay, yeah, yeah, you love. Some of you guys may have grown up with parents, right, who's like, I just want you to know I love you. Okay, see you later. You know what I mean? Like that, and, and, and I know with my kids, man, I want, I want, to, I want to pick that. It's something about picking them up, right, hugging them, kissing them, just showing them affection, having that experience with them to make what we're saying, the words, the truth, become real in their hearts. The same is with you and I. That's why God's our Father. And He's saying to us, I don't want you to just know the truth of Jesus. I want you to feel it. Just like Veronica moved from knowing something to it actually changing her, God is saying, I wanna do the same for you. Man, I remember, I remember this, this moment like it was yesterday. I was in Seattle at a conference. I've been a pastor for five years. And, and I just started to understand the gospel and the truth of Jesus. And, and I, I've told you guys this story before, but the words, the words to the song, like, it is finished, it is done, were on the screen. And I just remember bawling my eyes out because a truth that I'd known in my mind for so long finally became real in my heart. And for one of the first times in my life, I felt accepted. Because of the work of Jesus, like, knew it was finished, meaning it didn't matter what, I, what sin I struggled with, it didn't matter how I was gonna mess up, like, Jesus had paid the price. It was finished. My adoption, my identity was secure. And I remember that moment because it wasn't just that I hadn't known that, but it was that I began to feel it and it transformed me in a profound way. How many of us need to feel it tonight? And I'm not saying chase, chase an encounter, here's what I'm saying. How do we how do we experience the Holy Spirit in our life? It's not by pursuing emotionalism, it's by pursuing a person, and his name's Jesus. It's by taking moments like this and saying, Jesus, I want all of who you are. I want to know you. I want to, I wanna, I wanna experience you, I want to encounter you. It's about pursuing him and taking moments like tonight, to say, God, I want all of you, and not being afraid for what he's going to do in your heart and in your life. So here's what, could we bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes, and actually what I'd like to do, um, could we invite some of the Kai Alpha crew, you guys come up? I didn't ask you guys beforehand, I apologize, but I'd love to maybe have you guys be able to pray tonight for anybody who would like prayer. And so with your head bowed, guys, and your eyes closed, I want you to just take a moment and begin to kind of assess your heart in your life and say, number one, like, do I really believe that I've been adopted? Do I really believe I've been given a new identity in Christ? Or maybe as I look at my life, the reality that that is not something I believe is evident. Like, how much time do I spend worrying and focusing and filled with anxiety? How much time do I worry about what people think of me and and what kind of status I have? Right? How much am, how of the time am I depressed because I feel like I'm not accepted or don't, I'm not liked or or people don't? My family maybe doesn't think I'm great. All of those things. Like, how often do I really believe that I've been adopted? And I th- and I pray. Maybe if you're in here and you're like, "Man, I've known that truth, but my heart's not moved by it." When I sing about Jesus, I'm not my heart isn't melted. Maybe tonight, if you're here and you say, "I need I need a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit in my life." What I want to do is I want to take a couple of moments and let let God speak to you, and then I want to invite you to get out of your seat, come find one of these guys, and we're just going to pray. We're not going to pray for anything. We're just going to pray for only that the Holy Spirit would make Jesus more real in your hearts. That's what we're going to pray tonight. So for a few moments, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just would you just say, God, would you reveal to me that I need more of you tonight? Can you assess your hearts for the next few moments?